well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, where unfortunately we are going to be talking about some infringements today, particularly uh, your right to acquire a firearm, as well as individuals' uh, right to uh, sell firearms. Before we get to that, however, I want to share with you a wonderful company and a new sponsor for Parent Arms Cam and Company located in the center of the military universe, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. At Defender Ammunition, you will never wait weeks for ammo. Whatever you see on their website is actually in stock and it ships the same day. This is a pretty patriotic bunch. They source every component they can from U.S. companies to ensure that your dollars are going to support companies right here at home. Sure, Defender has exceptionally priced high-quality ammo, but they're also great folks who fight for the Defender of our country. Everyone employed at Defender Ammunition is either former military or military adjacent, and that's why they give back whatever they can to support charities for our beloved service members. I actually had the chance to uh, shoot off some Defender Ammunition this past weekend, and I got to tell you, they are the kind of company with quality products and American values that you'll want to support. Firearms industry seems massive, but it gets a lot smaller when you find people with common American values. And if you want to try some of their ammunition for free, check out their brass exchange program. They encourage customers to trade in fired brass in exchange for a gift card. People, as you can imagine, love this idea. Visit DefenderAmmunition.com and get to know a gem of an ammo company in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Check out all of the details on the brass exchange and more. And be sure to thank them for supporting this program and go on to save on high-quality manufactured ammunition at DefenderAmmunition.com. So we are seeing around the country not only anti-gun legislation, Right. We've got enough of that going on. But we are also seeing these continued attempts to denormalize gun ownership. Case in point, a couple of stories I ran across uh, earlier today, one from Connecticut, one from Louisiana, of all places. Uh, first, North Haven, Connecticut, where a gun store plan is getting pushback from residents as well as a, a first selectman. And then in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, where the council there has approved a zoning measure that will block gun shops from opening within a thousand feet of any school, despite the fact that at least one supporter of this zoning change acknowledges that it is likely to be challenged in court. They went ahead and they did this anyway. Why? Because apparently gun shops themselves should be relegated to uh, out of the way locations, maybe uh, industrial parts of town, you know, uh, nowhere where uh, people with kids or families might congregate. Right. That's one of the objections in North Haven, where Peter Estrada has been operating this firearms academy called Urban 2A from a site on uh, Washington Avenue for about four years now. So he's been there. He just hasn't been selling firearms, but he's been offering training. And now he wants to kind of expand his business a little bit. Uh, he said uh, this is part of a broader goal to educate people of color from urban communities about their Second Amendment rights. But Peter Estrada is running into a buzzsaw of opposition uh, from some concerned residents who say that the site is not appropriate for a gun store. Again, even though it's been a firearms academy for the past four years, now that Peter Estrada wants to start selling firearms, oh, no, 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 can't allow that. Uh, they point out some of the neighboring businesses include a uh, cards and comic book store. There's a Starbucks. There's a Dunkin'. There's a McDonald's. There's a Five Guys, all of which the opponents say, well, I mean, they, they, they bring families in there, which is probably true. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, places like Dunkin' and McDonald's and Five Guys actually probably lead to more deaths than any gun that uh, Peter Estrada would sell from his shop. But, you know, whatever. I mean, if you want to die of a heart attack, whatever. Fine. Anyway, <clears throat> there is nothing inappropriate. And by the way, keep in mind, 
once again, that Estrada's Firearms Academy is already there. It's already there. So you've got people who for the past four years have been coming to this location to learn how to be safe and responsible with firearms. And I guess it just never crossed anybody's radar, right? Only when Estrada wanted to make this zoning change, we could sell firearms that people start to stand up and freaking out. Uh, some of the objections here, uh, in light of all of the mass shootings that we've had recently, more guns coming into our streets is not the answer, right? So not, 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 it doesn't really matter where the gun store would be. That objection is just over any gun being sold in the town. Although uh, this individual did go on to complain that the location of the training facility quote is in an area frequented by families. This is not the place for a gun shop. I don't know if this guy's ever been to a gun store. But he might be surprised that, uh, yes, parents sometimes bring their kids with them. And uh, and that's OK. You ever been to a Bass Pro on the weekend? Holy moly. Anyway. Uh, let's see some of the other objections here. Amanda Gabrielle, a North Haven resident, said guns are, quote, a source of stress for her, especially as a mother of two school-aged children, saying, quote, I'm not a big fan of the proliferation of guns. And I think that there are enough shops in the area to service people that would like guns. So in other words, we, we, we got enough. Why can't we just ration out the number of gun stores that are available? Well, Peter Estrada says, look. Um, there are about 50 or 70 gun stores in all of Connecticut, by the way. But he says only five of them are minority-owned. Estrada is Puerto Rican. And he says that minority-owned gun stores are places where black and Hispanic residents might feel more comfortable asking questions about gun ownership, might be for, more comfortable seeking training. That doesn't matter. Not to the uh, complainants, right? He says his goal is to increase the access that people of color from urban areas like New Haven have to gun ownership. But the opponents, see, they don't want people, any color, to have access to their Second Amendment rights. Uh, according to the Hearst, uh, uh, Connecticut uh, website, reporter asked about the rate of gun violence in Connecticut cities, which uh, tends to be higher than in suburban towns. Peter Estrada said that's exactly why city residents should have access to firearms. He said, quote, that's where the crime is. If anyone needs a firearm to protect themselves, it would be someone in that environment. But... It looks like this is um, uh, going to be uh, tied up uh, by the uh, Board of Selectmen there in North Haven. Um, there is a meeting scheduled for May the 8th, the Planning and Zoning Commission, uh, holding a hearing. Uh, but right now, again, it looks like Peter Estrada's efforts to try to bring a gun store to North Haven is going to be stymied. Uh, and again, this is not just happening in traditionally anti-gun locales like Connecticut. It's also happening in states like Louisiana, where the uh, Jefferson Parish Council just approved this zoning change uh, that would, again, bar gun stores from opening up within a thousand feet of uh, any school, public or private, there in the parish. Uh, Dino Bonanno is a member of the uh, Jefferson Parish Council. He's a Republican who proposed this legislation. Uh, after uh, news broke last month at a gun store planned a grand opening across the street from St. Matthew, the Apostle Church and School. Bonato says that uh, parents call them for three days straight to sound off. And the uh, rule approved on Wednesday will not affect that gun store, but going forward, it will impact anybody else who wants to open up a store. Bonato says it's not a, quote, gun reform issue. It's a zoning issue. He said, if you know me, you know I'm a huge supporter of the Second Amendment. I own a lot of guns myself. There are proper places to do things. We're trying to prevent this from ever happening again.
Bonato said he wouldn't be surprised if the parish's new zoning rules challenged in court. He said, uh, while I feel like this law may be challenged, as a parish, we need to do something to send a message to our children, our parents, that we're going to do everything we can to ensure their safety. Well, what does this do exactly to ensure their safety? Uh, I'm, I'm puzzled here. You know, Bonanno says that he is a gun owner himself, owns lots of guns, big Second Amendment guy. Okay. And maybe he believes that he is. But what purpose is being served here by saying, uh, you know what, we we are going to relegate these uh, gun shops to these uh, out-of-the-way locations? Uh, Even something as specific as within a thousand feet of a school may very well limit the number of available retail locations in Jefferson Parish, right? I mean, if you think about it, you draw a thousand uh, foot circle around each and every educational facility, and all of a sudden, the places where it might be possible to open up a gun store are dramatically limited. This is something that Peter Estrada mentioned as well, that, you know, in a town the size of North Haven, there are only so many retail locations, uh, and most of them are going to be located near other retailers. So if the idea is, well, we got to shunt these gun shops off into the shadows, we got to push them off to the edge of town, there aren't going to be many places available. And in def- uh, what, what turns out, in theory, uh, to be a zoning limitation on the establishment of a gun store turns out, in reality, to be a prohibition on new gun stores because there are no places available. City of Chicago did this after the McDonald decision. Uh, in 2010. And we still don't actually have any gun stores or ranges in Chicago because of, well, first the city uh, simply tried to ban gun stores and ranges. Couldn't do that. And so then they rewrote their zoning rules and said that gun stores could only operate in what amounted to about 1% of the land in the city of Chicago. And as it turns out, there were no retail spots available in those locations. So in practicality, it was, again, a ban. Those things were challenged in court. Plaintiffs won, city of Chicago lost. Uh, and so now they've got this process where you've got to get, you know, special uh, permits and you've got to have, uh, you know, a review process. And there are all of these steps along the way where the city can put the kibosh on any potential gun store or range opening up. And sadly, again, that remains the reality today. Now, has that done anything to help Chicago's crime? Absolutely not. Because criminals, generally speaking, aren't acquiring their firearms lawfully to begin with. Uh, and also, generally speaking, people don't go into a gun store, walk out of a gun store, and immediately commit a violent crime. That's not happening on a uh, daily or even a weekly or even a monthly basis. But to the uh, anti-gun activists out there, any gun store, no matter their location, whether it is in a uh, strip mall whether it is an industrial park, whether it's in a a, a burned-out field on the edges of town, any gun store that is open for business, they view as uh, a problem and something that must be shut down. Again, it's part of this effort to denormalize gun ownership itself, to push gun ownership into the shadows. And as gun owners... And as Second Amendment supporters, we've got to push back. Our rights, no matter no matter what right we're talking about, our individual rights, freedom of speech, freedom to worship as we please, our freedom of expression, and yes, our right to keep and bear arms, our right to be secure in our persons and our property, 
All of these rights are fundamentally important to us. And all of these rights deserve to live in the sunlight, not in the shadows. So I hope that come May 8th, I know that there will be opponents of this gun store in North Haven. But I hope that there will be a lot of supporters of Peter Estrada who show up as well. Because uh, I think what Estrada is trying to do is a good thing. He's trying to provide people, yes, with access to their Second Amendment rights, but also with the education and the training that even gun control advocates supposedly say they're in favor of, right? This is the type of business that the town of North Haven should be welcoming and not trying to uh, eradicate. But we'll keep our eyes open and give you any updates uh, as they become available, hopefully here in a few weeks. And uh, you know what? I'm going to try to reach out to Peter Estrada and see if we can get him on the show as well, because I would love to talk to this gentleman. Right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Start there. A case out of Texas where a domestic violence survivor is criticizing a plea deal that gave her attacker no jail time, despite the fact this was not his first offense. William Steen, given five years probation. It's part of a no-contest plea to felony family violence. Uh, that does seem a bit underwhelming here. Uh, according to KSAT, William Steen is uh, scheduled to remain on probation until August of 2027, may not have contact with the victim with whom he shares a child. Steen broke this woman's nose, knocked out several of her teeth, and fractured her ribs during a violent attack inside an apartment in June of 2020. There were um, multiple BBs that were lodged in the woman's scalp after he repeatedly shot her with a BB gun. Also used a TV remote to repeatedly strike her. KSAT saw pictures of the woman's injuries. Uh, They show her with a severely bruised and swollen face, red marks on her neck, blood coming from her ears, the woman who normally I, I don't identify domestic violence victims, but she's gone public here. Uh, Erica Gross is her name. And she said, he spit in my face. He told me he was going to knock me out again. She said that Steen beat her with anything he could find before she was able to escape through a bedroom window and ran to a neighbor's apartment for help. She also says that investigators told her after the attack that, quote, this was the worst case that they had seen where somebody actually survived. Gross was forced to have surgery to fix the injuries to her face. She's racked up about $35,000 in medical bills as a result of the attack. As KSAT reports, Steen was eventually arrested on a felony charge of family violence, second degree, an elevated charge, since he had a previous domestic violence conviction in Bear County. This is actually his third domestic violence arrest. There was also a 2011 felony family violence charge that was dismissed in 2013 due to insufficient evidence at the time. But again, a second charge did result in a conviction, and now this third charge has resulted in a plea deal. Um, The victim told KSAT that she cooperated with the prosecution, practiced her testimony with an assistant DA on the day before jury selection was scheduled to begin for Steen's trial, and then she said she got a call from the prosecutor informing her that Steen had signed a plea deal instead. Gross said, that was all she kept telling me, well, at least we got a win. She said, I had to hang up the phone with her. She said, I was so upset and hurt, and all I could do is just kind of scream. It doesn't make me feel safe at all. Now, a spokesman for the DA says that uh, Gross was made aware of the plea offer numerous times before it was extended, and that the victim's potential testimony presented challenges to prosecutors. Uh, he said, uh, District Attorney Joe Gonzalez said, quote, there were some issues as to the credibility of the complainant. 
He said, if somebody we know has a criminal history isn't held accountable, that's always a concern for us because there's a potential that he may continue to offend. So it is disappointing. But basically put it on the victim here. There was, again, credibility with her argument. I mean, I've seen the photos of this woman's face. Uh, It sounds like this was a fairly cut and dried uh, charge here against Mr. Steen. But so I don't. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't. I don't necessarily buy the prosecutor's argument. I, I, it, you can say anything, right? Well, we had problems with witness credibility. Well, we were afraid what the jury might do. I mean, whatever the rationale. Sounds like the victim did not want this plea deal. Sounds like the victim was prepared to testify. And the comment that Gross made about the uh, assistant district attorney saying. Um, well, at least we got to win. I got to tell you, that rings true to me. As sad as it is. Because I think, unfortunately, a lot of times these prosecutors, they get caught up in the numbers. They want to know what their conviction rate's going to be, right? And to them, a plea deal that results in a guilty plea is just as good as a case that, if it's better than a case that goes to trial. Because it saves them time. It saves them money. Saves the expense of having to go through that that entire process. If you can get a guilty plea, even if it results in less jail time or no jail time whatsoever, from a prosecutorial standpoint, it does count as a win. Right? You can say, we checked that box. We got a conviction or a guilty plea. But that doesn't mean that justice is done. And in this case, an individual who, again, Pleaded no contest, right? So he he has admitted to uh, to these offenses. Is going to get off scot free, at least if he doesn't do this again. Given that this is his third arrest, second conviction or guilty plea, I don't know that that's going to happen. I hope for. Uh, anyone he's involved with in a romantic relationship, that that is the case. But I got to tell you, this deal really rubs me the wrong way. Now, today's Armed Citizen story, Athens, Georgia, where a, a man shot and injured an intruder who apparently was sitting in his living room watching TV. That's how he was discovered. Yeah, uh, this is a crazy situation. It happened about... 5.50, Monday morning. So, you know, that time where most of us are asleep, getting ready to wake up. The uh, suspect identified as 41-year-old James Hill um, apparently broke into the home. The uh, homeowner said his girlfriend's 16-year-old son went into the living room and saw a stranger sitting there watching TV. The homeowner said he alerted us, and she let me know that somebody was in there, so I grabbed my firearm and I ran to the door. President said he confronted the intruder he had never seen before. He said he tried to reason with it, saying someone had let him in and there were cops outside looking for him, but I knew no one to let him in. So the uh, resident reported to police that the intruder had something in his hand. He was unsure at the time what it was. Suspect says he began running, and the resident says he started shooting. Man's girlfriend called 911. When police arrived, they located the 41-year-old across the street, took him into custody. He was carrying a a Roku remote at the time. Uh, Police officer Adam Sertan Searched the area, collected uh, shell casings. Hill subsequently charged with a burglary. 
and uh, provided a detective with a statement, although what uh, he told the officer was not disclosed. Resident said um, the intruder had entered his home through a door. Apparently, his dad had left for work, left the door unlocked. Resident also said, I never thought this would happen to me. He said, I wanted to protect my family and my home. And he said, uh, I'm glad he's alive. And I didn't have to be the one to take his life. Well, I am too. Again, I don't know a gun owner out there who owns a firearm because they hope one day that they get to use that gun in self-defense. I am sure that for this 32-year-old, this was one of the scariest moments of his life. You know, most of us own or carry firearms for the same reason why we have a fire extinguisher in our kitchen. Right? We hope never to use it, but we are aware of the possibility that, yes, there there may be a circumstance where that would be an invaluable thing to have. Um, in this case, thankfully, again, the intruder was not hurt. The homeowner, or well, the intruder was not killed. The homeowner wasn't hurt. Uh, it sounds like not facing charges, acting in a self-defense, but we'll keep our eyes on this story and bring any more details as they become available. Finally today, our good deed of the day. In the right place. At the right time, willing and able to do the right thing in uh, Hanover, Massachusetts, a good Samaritan who, along with uh, police officers there, helped a sleeping woman escape a house fire Tuesday morning just before uh, 2 a.m. The um, resident lives in a converted barn um, and was asleep because it's, you know, middle of the night when a passerby noticed that the structure was actually on fire and called 911. Uh, Police officers first on the scene. Woman was able to follow their voices to safety. Uh, Hanover Fire Chief Jason Cavallaro said, obviously, the occupant was very lucky. Someone passing by and able to see it, call 911. Police officers were able to arrive early and notify that occupant that was sleeping. Obviously, it could have been a very different story. Uh, The fire contained to that converted barn uh, did not uh, reach the, uh, the main home there on the property. Um, Jim Henderson, who was in the main house when the fire started, uh, says he was woken up by police officers um, asking, are you here alone? He said, yes. And they said, wait a minute, I have somebody in the back. So they knocked on her door, he said, to uh, to get her out. Thankfully, again, neither of the residents were hurt, although there was a firefighter who was treated on the scene for minor injuries. The uh, barn itself, a total loss. Henderson says it was his sculpture studio and gallery. 50 years of work, he said. I don't know what's left in there. Don't have any idea. And as... Uh, Big a loss as that is for Mr. Henderson. This could have been far worse. We could have had a loss of life as well. So to that anonymous Good Samaritan speeding by at 2 a.m. who saw the flames and alerted authorities, helped them to rescue that woman, we thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program, and I'm so looking forward to being back with you on Monday. Between now and then, however, don't forget to visit BarryandArms.com. We've got you covered on all of the latest Second Amendment news and issues of the day. And if you like what you see, I'd always encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to BarryandArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, and analysis you won't find anywhere else, because your support does matter, and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. But until then... Be well, be safe, and be free.